This morning, we're going to be in the book of John again. Uh, we have just this week and next week left in our sermon series covering the liturgy of the Daily Prayer Project, Worship for Weary Souls, Communal Habits, and Daily Rhythms of Grace. So we have this week and next week, and then like I said, we'll be starting uh, the book of Revelation uh, after that, and so I'm excited about the things that uh, are coming uh, as we get into the Word this morning. Uh, well, last week we were in uh, John 15, and we're in John 15 again today. Day. Uh, looking last week, we looked at prayer, uh, the, the prayer aspect of the daily prayer project. And this morning, we're looking at what I consider to be the feast of the daily prayer project, the apex, where it's all headed, which is the abiding section. So we'll be looking at that this morning. Well, the, uh, the ability for us as uh, a society to mass produce high quality things is truly amazing. Uh, we have this uh, truly amazing uh, ability to mass produce high quality things. It's uh, an advancement of technology and human ingenuity, and it's truly remarkable, making it possible to give high quality experience and experiences and products around the globe at relatively low cost. It's so good. And yet it does have some unintended consequences. We have these habits that have developed of speed and uh, uh, habits of consumption that we have developed that value speed and consistency over patience, uniqueness, and excellent quality. Well, one of these places in which this is seen, the, this juxtaposition of uh, mass-produced high-quality things and uh, more unique, long-term, patient production is in winemaking. Winemaking takes a long time. It takes a long time to make wine of superior quality in particular. It takes about three years from when you plant grapes before you can actually uh, have those vines produce fruit that can make wine. And then it can take months or years before that bottle can actually really happen. And if you really want it to taste good, you've got to let it age for quite some time. It takes a long time. And we're not super patient. And so instead, you have lots of mass-produced wine factories that are just kind of mass-producing wine that you can buy kind of off the shelf, which has its place. And yet, there's something distinctive about an aged bottle of wine that is very good. That's the question for us this morning, is what kind of fruit are we working at? What kind of fruit are we trying to produce? Are we trying to produce fruit that would uh, age well over time to create wine that would be well-aged? Or are we trying to create quick, mass-produced Fruit that would create quick and cheap mass-produced wine. Now, certainly we're not talking about producing fruit for wine this morning. We're not opening a winery. That's not what the point of this sermon is. But we're talking about spiritual fruit. What kind of spiritual fruit are we working at? Not just in our own individual lives, but us together as a church. What kind of fruit are we aiming at? Are we looking at short-term or long-term things? Because that will determine our strategy, our pace, our longevity, our perseverance, and the methods that we look at. Because I do think the work of the church is actually very similar to the work of making wine. 
If we're looking for some quick results to things, we're going to look at things in a mass-produced kind of way, a production mentality. Is that really what our aim should be? I don't think so, because I think that the fruits of the Spirit, much like the fruit of good wine, needs time, it needs cultivation, it needs care, it needs patience and foresight. You really won't see results for a long time. And it takes that kind of patience and foresight to actually produce something that is of value. And so we're going to look again today at what Jesus says about what it means for him to be, to, him to be the vine and us to be the fruits, uh, the branches of the vine, and for the Father to be the vine dresser, to be the one who is guiding this process. And so we're going to look at John 15, verses uh, 1 through 11. All right. And uh, last week I read from the NLT, which is what we normally read from. This morning I'm going to read from the ESV. Uh, Just some of the word choices that the ESV makes uh, I think fit a little better with what we're talking about today. So we're going to do that today. All right. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is really what we're going to be looking at this morning, is what does it mean for us to embrace the liturgy of Jesus, right? The liturgy is this this practice of worship, these habits that we're walking through together of abiding in Christ, our union and communion with God. Now, as we have been doing over, over the past weeks in this sermon series, we're going to contrast this liturgy of Jesus with the liturgy of the world, the worship practice of the world that is seeking to form us and the worship practice of religion that we seek to create that forms us and actually contrast these things and then look at what does it mean for us to follow Jesus in the midst of that. Well, the liturgy of the world not abiding uh, is not abiding but is consumption. Consumption. We talked about this a little bit last week that the liturgy of the world moving in the direction of consumption. That the practices and habits that we are walking in all the time in our culture is one of consumption. A sort of scorched earth approach. We take what we want now and we don't wait for it. This can be seen in really every area of our lives as a culture. We consume entertainment, we consume products, we consume food, and even consume people in many ways. We see people as commodities that we can take advantage of 
if it works in our benefit. Now again, there are some, certainly there are benefits and advantages to the speed of food production and mass production of goods and services, but we must be careful because we are being trained by those habits, and sometimes we actually take those approaches that we're learning in the world from those habits and apply them to our walk with Jesus, to our interactions with others, and to our soul care. People then become projects to work on or fix, or worse, objects of consumption. What can I get out of this relationship? What can I get out of this thing? Relationships are no longer this give and take, but come, become for the purpose of what I can get out of it. We look for quick fixes to long-term spiritual concerns. Quick experiences of worship, praise, prayer, devotions, whatever it is, if we can get it now, we want it. And if we can't get it now, we're going to give up on the practice because we're not getting what we want. Because we've sort of just been trained to consume. And so if we can't consume it quickly, there's probably someone that's designed something better that will get what I want quicker. And so we'll just move on from this thing and try something else. This is how we do this often, right? And we apply it to the way we meet with Jesus. We meet with Jesus to get out of it what we can, not simply to come and enjoy who he is. We come to church to see what we can get out of it. Small groups, serving, sermons, all of it, we're consuming to get something out of it rather than to simply experience Jesus. We're driven by some sort of measurable results. And when we don't get them, we want, the, uh, we want to move on to something that will produce the results that we want. What if, however... The fruit that God is interested in producing is actually going to take quite a long time. What if the fruit that God is actually interested in producing in you and in us as a church is not something that we're going to just create quickly so that we can consume more things, but actually is going to something that we're going to cultivate over years? I think part of the reason that we're content with Staying in this consumption mindset is because we're afraid of what we'll find if God is actually in charge. You see, when we consume, we are in charge. We're the driver of this thing. And that's the the liturgy of the world that is continually pushing us towards that. In flip, the liturgy of religion that we are afraid of, that we want to run away from, which is why we embrace consumption so often, is that of judgment. Because for many of us, the reality is we are afraid to yield to God and His idea of results, His timing for growth and the fruit that He wants to produce because religion has trained us that it's in that place that we experience judgment. When God's in charge, we're afraid that He simply will judge us. Shame becomes the ultimate motivator for us. Right? So we, not only do we run away from God and run towards consumption, but then when we are drawn back in, we actually feel shame at the fact that we consume all the time. We feel shame at our greed, our lust, our envy. We feel shame at this place in which we are afraid to enter into relationship with God because we're afraid He'll judge us. 
Judgment becomes this answer. Part of our fear of patience, part of our fear uh, of patience when it comes to this daily prayer project, right? The patience, silence, solitude, and the waiting of the abiding section is because in the midst of that quiet, when we get to that place of quiet, we are afraid of the voice of shame that we will listen to. Our internal voice of shame and the external voices of judgment that we hear and we project all of those negative liturgies of judgment upon God. And so we're afraid that the reality is that God in the midst of bringing us close is only bringing us close to judge us and so we're content to just simply consume spiritually and not just let God be in charge. But what if there's a better way? What if there's actually a better way? What if Jesus actually wants us to experience real life by simply coming before him? What if he's not about judgment, but is about grace and mercy? We started this whole sermon series by looking at Jesus saying, Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden with burdens. And I will give you rest. Come to me if you are weary of the way in which you approach the world, in the the way in which you approach God. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will be near to you. Come and learn from me so that I can teach you, so that I can love you. And that's really the heart of what Jesus is talking about here with his disciples The night that he's betrayed, in the most intimate of settings, Jesus is coming in this space to tell his disciples this story about being the vine and his disciples being the branches. Now, this is a basic, the the basic understanding of this metaphor is pretty clear for our union and communion with God, our union and communion with Christ. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. So you must stay connected to the vine in order to produce any fruit, right? That's basic and makes enough sense, right? If you cut the branch off of a vine, it's not going to produce fruit because it's lost its connection to life. Not connected to the vine equals no life. What that means for us, friends, is that there is no spiritual life that can be had apart from connection to Jesus. There's not multiple pathways to God or alternative ways. No man-made wisdom will create this for us. There's no place in which you can drum up enough spiritual uh, uh, experiences in order to meet God apart from connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no life apart from connection with Him. Only Jesus can grant you spiritual life. And this is good news, friends, because we go around our entire lives seeking to suck life out of places that can give no life. We seek to get life from things that cannot give life. But what Jesus is saying is, I have a place that you can find life. And it's me. Connect yourself to me, and you can have life. This life is found not in manipulating God, 
Not in making sure that we're doing the right thing in order to get the right connection. All of these things. No, it simply comes by being connected to Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Connection to Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus. Unites us to Him. We are united to Him by faith, which grants to us the life that He purchased for us on the cross in His life, death, and resurrection. The life that He purchased for us. We get the forgiveness of sins. We get the promise of glorification. We get the promise of eternal life. All of these things. And yet, that's not even the best part. The best part Jesus told us here is that we get Him. You see, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He doesn't simply say, so therefore, believe in me, right? Therefore, uh, agree with these certain things, follow me in this certain way, do these certain things. No, he says, abide in me. Abide in me. The answer that Jesus gives for us is to actually be connected to him. We get him. It's not simply believe in me, but abide in me. Now, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? How do we actually abide in Jesus? How do we actually stay connected to Jesus? This is the daily connection to the vine. A moment-by-moment trust in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Right? This is where it comes to uh, what we've been talking about. Rhythms and habits communal rhythms and habits of grace. Remember, the, the analogy that he's using here is that of vine dressing or gardening. Gardening is not a one-time act. It's not a thing. If you want to grow grapes that produce wine, you cannot put the seed in the ground and then be like, sweet, I'll come back in three years and we'll have some grapes. Like, that's not how it works. You need to constantly tend it, which is why I stink at gardening. You need to constantly tend it. You need to actually do a lot of things to make sure the soil is good, to make sure uh, the, the, it's watered properly, to make sure weeds aren't coming up, to make sure animals aren't coming and eating your grapes. All of those things. Like There are a lot of things that go into this. But you know what you never can do? Produce grapes on the vine. You can't do it. You could do all the work possible, but you cannot do the impossible thing that you're actually trying to do. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying here? You will not actually produce fruits by planting a seed like you can't make it happen. If it just doesn't happen, it just doesn't happen. It has to do it. Now, you can do a lot of work to make sure the ground is cultivated properly to make sure it's watered properly, to make sure it's protected properly. But the thing that you're actually trying to do is impossible for you to do. It has to grow on its own. It has to actually produce the thing. It has to actually make it happen. Friends, it is not possible to force the Holy Spirit to do anything in your life. You have zero control over the Holy Spirit. Zero control. You can't force Jesus to do anything for you. He is God 
You are not. You can't make him produce fruit in you. You can't make yourself be more patient or more kind or more holy. You can't actually produce any of those things on your own. And yet you can do all of the hard work to cultivate all of the things necessary for that fruit to be produced. You see, so when we're talking about the hard work of gardening, we need to remember our place. We need to remember our place. You do not make the fruit grow. You cultivate everything around it so that it can grow. But the Holy Spirit does the growth. It's possible for you to do the hard soil work of repentance in your heart. It's possible for you to actually ask the questions of your own heart and life around what am I trusting in? What am I believing? What am I looking to for life? Where am I falling away from what Jesus has commanded me to do? It is possible for you to prune away sin in your life. To actually run away from sinful patterns and habits. To turn towards healthier things and relationships. It's possible for you to create space for silence and solitude to meet with God. To commune with Him. But it's not possible for you to produce the fruit. So don't work to produce the fruit. Work to cultivate everything necessary for the Holy Spirit to do His work. It's right for us to work hard at abiding in Christ. But we need to remember what our place is. Our place is to work hard to abide in Christ and allow Him to do the work of producing fruit in us. Now, Jesus goes on to say that those who produce fruit are pruned for more fruit. That pruning comes through suffering. The work of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus, is going to have suffering. It's going to come as we mortify, as we kill off sin in our life, as we cut off unhealthy things. Right? If, if the reality of what Jesus says is that you cannot produce fruit or have life apart from being connected to the vine, then that should change the way in which we examine our lives. It's not simply, does God allow this thing or that thing, but does this maximize my connection to Jesus? Does this maximize my connection to the vine? Because if the only place I can have life is being connected to Jesus, then my chief question ought to be, how do I be most connected to Jesus? Right? It changes it from, hey, what's the line that God has drawn that I can walk up next to? And just, like, where do I need to not cross? To, like, how do I actually just experience Jesus? Because then all those other things will fall in place. If I can just be connected to experiencing Jesus. Right? Certainly this means that we're going to remain in His commands, right? As He said, abide in Him and His words and cut away sin. But it also means we're going to limit things that are non-sinful, that actually affect our ability to be connected to the vine, right? If you want to grow good, uh, if you want to make good wine, you have to sacrifice other things that are good in order for you to have the time to address cultivating all those things. 
Cultivating the soil, cultivating the fruit, all of that stuff. You have to actually have time to do that, which means you have to make other sacrifices. We're going to have to sacrifice activities, hobbies, entertainment, houses, money stored up, all of these things. We're going to have to figure out how to make sure our hearts aren't connected to those things for life and actually connect our hearts to Jesus for life if we're going to abide in Christ, if we're going to commune with him. So how do we actually do this? Well, I think Jesus gives us a couple of things in the midst of this section that I want to focus our attention on for how we actually abide in Christ. Now, in the Daily Prayer Project, right, there, this is the uh, sixth of the seventh sort of aspects to this liturgy. You're kind of working up to this, right? You start with this call to worship, read a psalm, walk into this lesson, right? Experience prayer. I missed one. Adoration. Adoration. Right? There's an adoration piece in that. And then you move into this. Finally, you're at this piece of abiding in Christ. And this is the place in which you are going to commune with God. You are going to be in deep prayer and relationship with God. You're going to commune with him. How do we do this? Well, I think Jesus gives us a couple of things. First, we are going to abide in his love. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. How has the Father loved Jesus? The Father delights in Jesus. When Jesus comes out of the water in, in his baptism, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Father is enamored with the Son. He delights in His very being. He delights in who He is, in His character. He is proud of the Son. He loves and adores His Son. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So when the Father says, this is my beloved Son, Jesus says of you, this is my beloved If you're in Christ, Jesus says of you, this is my beloved. And if you're united with Christ by faith, the Father says over you, this is my beloved child. And you experience all of that by the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Jesus has loved you by taking on Your sin on the cross, right? Just as we heard, as Ruthie said. Why did Jesus suffer if he did nothing wrong? Because he loved you. Because he loved you. Because he had you in mind when he went to the cross. Because he was paying for your sin and for mine. Right? This is exactly where Jesus goes, right? Uh, in this next section, what he says is, uh, I have called you friends, uh, and, uh, and, and, and you ought to love as I have loved. Right? And Jesus loves by going to the cross in our place. So, this union that we have with Jesus is only available to us by faith. And when we are to abide in Christ, when we are to meet with him, we must first know his love for us. 
So when you get to this section in your daily prayer project, and when you're experiencing, you're trying to experience God in your daily life, you need to first recognize His love for you. It's foundational to everything else. You need to abide in His love and know that He loves you dearly. And this is the way we fight against shame. This is the way we fight against the feeling of judgment. This is the way we fight against the habits of consumption in our lives because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. This is the way we abide in him. We trust him. We know his love. And now, if we know his love, we can abide in his word and commandments. We're only going to be able to abide in his words and commandments if we know his love. We're only going to listen to him. We're only going to be silent before him. We're only going to transform our lives around him if we know he loves us. So here's what I want you to do. If you are ready to move on, but not yet assured of his love, don't move on. Stay in abiding in his love. Know that he loves you. You have to stay there. And you have to cultivate the ground and do all the things that you can do. And we're going to talk in a moment about what happens when, we don't, when, when this doesn't come. Right? Do all the things you can do and wait for the Holy Spirit to produce it in you. There's only so much you can do in that. And then you just got to wait. So you want to abide in his love, know that he loves you, and wait on him. Jesus says next, then, to abide in his word and commandments. Uh, Maybe. Yep, there it goes. Uh, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified so that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Abide in his word and in his commandments. You see, obedience here is not connected to judgment, but is connected to communion with God. Obedience is not connected to judgment. What has Jesus already said to his disciples? He said, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Already you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are already in relationship with God. You are already in union with God. Through faith in Christ, you are already in union with God. So now, obedience is connected to our communion with God. In other words... Our obedience doesn't strengthen our union with Christ. Nothing can strengthen your union with Christ. You're either united or not united. That's it, right? You're either a branch connected to the vine or you're a branch disconnected from the vine. You can't be more connected to the vine. You're either connected or you're not connected. That's it. Your union with Christ is final and secure. But our obedience can strengthen our communion with Christ. We obey not because it's the way in which we avoid judgment. That's not going to work. You can obey the rest of your life, every piece of the law that you think you can obey, and you will still disobey the law every day. 
It doesn't work. You cannot obey into union with Christ. You're already united with Christ. Your obedience then is not because you're doing it to avoid judgment. You're doing it to experience Jesus. Because Jesus is holy, we want to be with Jesus and holy like Him. We obey His Word not because it grants to us some extra blessing or some extra thing that we get, not to earn anything, but because it's in our obedience to Jesus that we experience who He is. Yeah, because we love Him. And because we want to experience more of His love. What does He say? I abide in my Father's love by obeying His commandments. You want to abide in my love? Obey my commandments. You want to know more that Jesus loves you more and more? Obey His Word. That's how we're going to experience more and more that He loves us is when we obey His Word. Now, that doesn't mean we're doing it perfectly. Certainly not. Part of obeying His Word is repenting of our sin. (laughs) Acknowledging our sinfulness, confessing it to Him, and experiencing forgiveness. That's part of obeying Him. If we want to experience more of Jesus, we need to pursue holiness because He is holy. We don't do it to earn His love, but to commune more and more with Him. Finally, so we're going to obey or abide in His love. We're going to abide in His word and commandments. And finally, we're going to abide in His joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy. Often when we want to get serious about following Jesus, we fail to recognize that walking with Jesus is supposed to bring us great joy. We want to get serious about walking with Jesus, and so we see it as this chore, this duty that I have to accomplish. That's not it. We are to experience great joy in walking with Jesus. We need to learn to abide in the joy of Jesus, filled with His joy. This is crazy. What does it say here? These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. My joy. The joy of Jesus in you. So first, we're getting the love of God the Father for God the Son in us. And the love of God the Son for God the Father in us. And now we're getting the joy of Jesus The joy of Jesus is to obey His Father. The joy of Jesus is to love those who are unlovable. The joy of Jesus is to love you. The joy of Jesus is now yours in Christ. You get the joy of Jesus given to you freely, and He does it so that your joy may be full. Joy. Our joy may be full. Oftentimes, we view our spiritual walk with Jesus like a marriage that has no joy in it, and we just stay in it because it's the right thing to do. But that's not what this is. That's not what we get in Jesus. We get joy. Experiencing His glorious presence. What if you're not experiencing that joy? What if you're not experiencing abiding in His Word and His commandments? What if you're not experiencing abiding in His love? What do we do in the midst of not experiencing those things? Well, we need to stay with it. Lean into it and cultivate those things. Spend time with Him. Listen and be patient because it takes time. Remember, we're producing fruit much more like wine 
aged wine than mass-produced. If that's what we're producing, it's going to take a long time to get it to happen. That's literally the, the analogy that Jesus is using, is producing fruit for wine. So it's going to take a long time. And in the first century, I guarantee it took longer to make good wine then than it does now, right? With less processing, right? That, he is using a metaphor that means it will take time. So if you sit down with the Daily Prayer Project or with your Bible or you're trying to abide in Christ, you're trying to walk with Jesus, and you're like, man, I don't feel anything. Yeah, I know. That's probably what your experience is going to be like for quite some time. Because we are being trained constantly in every area of our life to expect a result immediately. That's not why we're doing this. We're walking with Jesus now so that 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we are experiencing a different kind of joy than what we're experiencing now. It takes foresight, patience, to cultivate and create that kind of relationship with God. It takes time. You just can't go at it any faster. It just is going to take time. And there are some seasons that are going to feel really dry. There are just going to be some seasons where you feel like, I am not abiding in your love, not abiding in your joy, and it feels really dry. But it's in those wilderness seasons that God actually is doing something profound. Hosea chapter 2 says this, uh, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, and speaking about Israel, God says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer in the, as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. This is God speaking to Israel after their disobedience and sin. This is not like spiritual dryness related to like nothing going on in me and you know whatever. This is spiritual dryness related to their sin. And what God says is I'm going to drive them into the wilderness so that I can draw them to me. Uh, in this uh, book, Opening to God, David Benner, he, he says this about spiritual dryness. He quotes from a couple of different folks, but he says this about dryness. You might wonder, however, why God permits the desolation of spiritual dryness. Or even more puzzling, why God invites us to receive it as a gift of great value. Although we may wish it were otherwise, it is uniquely in times of spiritual dryness that we can learn that there is nothing we can do to control God or produce divine blessings. The blessings we seek can only be received as a gift and grace of the Lord. When the spiritual well runs dry, God is saying, I am God. I must be the Lord of our encounter. You cannot turn me on and off like a water faucet whenever you wish. According to John of the Cross, this frustrating independence of God is the best proof we have that God is God, not merely a figment of our imagination. I think he is right. If God is simply a wish or fulfillment or projection of our needs, which of us would wish to create such a frustratingly independent God? Man, that's good. A frustratingly independent God. 
It's in those moments of spiritual dryness where we say, God, you promised that we would abide in your love. You promised that our joy would be full, and we don't feel it. In which we actually have to depend on the Holy Spirit to produce it. And when the Holy Spirit produces it, it is far more secure than when you and I fake it. So we have to stay there in a place of dryness, in a place with no joy, in a place with no abiding in his love. We've got to stay there until Jesus grants it to us. Right? Like we said in the book of Exodus, when Moses was bold and said, no, we're not going unless you go with us. No, no, no. Really, you have to go with us or we're not moving. We have to have that kind of boldness in our walk with Jesus to abide in him. God, I don't feel that you love me. I'm not convinced that you love me. I'm not experiencing any joy. Do not let me go from this place until you give it to me. Lean on him in those ways. And the Holy Spirit will show up mightily. This joy which is already ours in Christ. This is the thing that we will get if we just cultivate these things and trust and wait on the Holy Spirit to show up. I can't promise how long that's going to take. That's the the crazy thing about growing grapes for wine. You could do everything right and still have a drought. And you can't make the rain come from the sky. You are utterly dependent. You can do everything right in your spiritual life and still feel distant from God. you got to just wait on Him. I don't know how long it's going to take. But he promises he'll show up because he's made a covenant to show up with you. He's made a covenant promise to a thousand generations stretching all the way back to Abraham and all the way forward to the new heavens and new earth that he is going to redeem a people for himself. That he will be their God and they will be his people. And if you are in Christ, you are a part of that. He has made promises to you. I don't know when he will fulfill them for you. But you got to take that up with him. You gotta come near to him. This is the work, the hard work of abiding in Christ. And it is the most necessary work we do as a church. Because Jesus says, by this you will produce much fruit. Certainly, this means the fruit of the Spirit, right? Certainly, this means that we will be producing the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self control. I got it this time, guys. Last time I couldn't name them all, but I think I got it this time. Certainly that's the kind of fruit that we would produce, but it's also the fruit of good works in loving our neighbor, loving our enemy. If you want City Hope to do any good in this city for your neighbor, for your enemies, for the kingdom of God to grow, if we're not abiding in Christ, we will do nothing good in this city. Nothing. It's not possible. You will do nothing good unless you abide in Christ. Unless you experience who He is. Abiding in His love. Experiencing His joy. That's the only way we'll produce any fruit of lasting value. We don't want to be a mass-produced, decent-tasting, but easily thrown away and forgotten wine. We want to be a good, aged wine. In this city. That means our goals for this city are not to be accomplished within my lifetime. 
When we pray for this city, we ought to pray generations from now. Decades from now. When I think about your walk with Jesus, I want you to walk with Jesus on your deathbed 50 years from now. Not tomorrow. I mean, I want you to walk with Jesus tomorrow, don't get me wrong. But I care far more about 50 years from now than tomorrow. Which means we're going to be patient, we're going to wait, we're going to trust, and we're going to lean on the Holy Spirit. We're going to build, cultivate all of those things that are going to take time, and we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit to show up. That's the only way we can do this. Because Jesus says it's the only way you will produce fruit. The only way you will have life. So let's do this hard work. But that means we probably are going to slow down. Slow down to make sure we're doing the hard, cultivating work that's going to take time to grow. We're going to have patience. And we're going to see God show up years from now. Let's commit ourselves to this hard work because Jesus says, in that, we will find life. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you now and we pray 